You ain't heard nothing yet. Get around, little man. What am I going to do? Frankly, my dear, I'm going to make him an offer. You talking to me? Are you not entertained? I don't know who you are. Why so sick? When I'm good, I'm very good. Simple. But when I'm bad, I'm better. He's denying Call me Mr. Boy's best friend is his mother. You have no style. You can bark all day, little dog. Everyone! Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Hello, and welcome back to the Tinsel Factory. My name is Caitlin, and I'm your host. Hope everybody had a great week. If you're listening to this on release day, I'm probably at the Oscars Museum for preview day, which you'll hear about soon. I've been waiting for years to go and I am super excited. I don't even care that I had to get a COVID test yesterday in order to go. I'm recording this a bit earlier in the week than usual because my birthday is this weekend, so there are no movies to review this week. Also, I got into a weird car accident, which took up my one free day this week, but next episode for sure. Anyway, where does the time go? It feels like I just started this month's theme, and yet here we are at the end of the month with the last episode. This week, we're covering a film that even 20 years later continues to split critics and filmgoers alike, including my friend group when I asked them about this movie. Is it a work of art, or is it just a bunch of nonsense? And what the hell is up with that bunny? That's right, we're covering that one movie that the goth kid at your high school had the t-shirt of, Donnie Darko. With that, let's take our places. It's showtime. Donnie Darko's director, Richard Kelly, graduated from the University of Southern California in 1997 with a degree in film and soon found work as a client's assistant at a post-production house. He was 23 and had two short films under his belt, but was dreaming of something bigger. It was while he was working at the post-production house that he started thinking about his next move and decided to write his first feature-length script. Not the most original dream for a recent film school grad in Los Angeles, but hey, we can't all be originals. Kelly didn't actually get to writing his script until October of 1998, when, inspired by the spooky season, as well as his own childhood, wrote the first draft of the script that would become Donnie Darko. Kelly did this in a mere 28 days, incorporating things like a story he remembered hearing about as a child, which ended up being an urban legend, of a piece of ice from a jet of indeterminable origin falling on and destroying a house. In the script, he changed the block of ice to a jet engine from the future. It was from this point that Kelly built out the rest of his script. Let me give you a brief synopsis of the film since this movie, more than the others, has a lot of weird shit going on. And if you're like me, you hadn't seen it until this week. 
Donnie Darko is set during the 1988 presidential election, and the film follows Donnie Darko, played by a baby-faced Jake Gyllenhaal, an emotionally disturbed high school kid haunted by visions of a freaky-looking six-foot-tall rabbit Donnie names Frank. One day, a jet engine from the future crashes into his house, triggering a parallel universe which, Frank tells him, will end in 28 days, 6 hours, 42 minutes, and 12 seconds. The only reason Donnie survived the jet engine crash into his home is because he had sleepwalked to the local golf course. Meanwhile, Donnie falls in love with his classmate Gretchen, discovers time travel, and does a bunch of terrible things including arson. Donnie is soon convinced he needs to save his family and Gretchen from being killed, but to do so, he realizes that he must go back in time to be killed himself by the falling jet engine. What's a teen gonna do? Kelly got ideas for Donnie's backstory, like his battles with paranoid schizophrenia, from researching the topic online. He chose this medical condition as it, at the time, was considered a broad disorder. Kelly realized that because the condition was difficult to diagnose, it made it a, quote, great way to ground a supernatural story in a scientific sense. The first draft of Donnie Darko was around 145 pages in length. The average motion picture script is closer to 90 to 100. And yet, it didn't take long for the script to garner some attention. For example, upon reading it, producer Sean McKittrick recalled that he, quote, had never read anything like it before and helped Kelly refine the script while making the story understandable enough to attract investors. That's right. This story was once even more convoluted than how it ended up. There are some additional autobiographical links with Kelly and the film, and he later claimed that there was a great deal of himself written into the character of Donnie. For example, Kelly also grew up in a Virginian suburban town where a local woman named Grandma Death would stand by the road and constantly open and close her mailbox. He also added the experience of when he almost ran over a homeless person while driving, arguments with his high school teachers over the curriculum, and his personal experiences with sleepwalking into the script. Kelly had also made Frank a rabbit from the earliest drafts of the script, but he was unsure whether the character originated from a dream of his or his longtime obsession with the animal in the novel Watership Down. Kelly knew that the film's complicated story would be a difficult pitch to producers without them having read the script first, so he had producers read it in full before they discussed it in person. Another added difficulty with pitching the script was that Kelly and McKittrick insisted that Kelly direct the film, which made the project a harder sell because no one wants to risk money on an untested director. McKittrick later said that Donnie Darko was, quote, the challenging script in town that everybody wanted to make but was too afraid. Kelly recalled 1999 being a year of, quote, meeting after meeting, only to be rejected, and eventually he declared his film dead. Kelly's fortunes soon changed, however, when agents at the Creative Arts Agency, that's a talent agency for you non-industry folks, took an interest in the script and signed Kelly onto their roster. This led to further meetings with several prominent industry peeps, including Francis Ford Coppola and Ben Stiller. Kelly reported his meeting with Coppola as being particularly promising. 
The film got closer to becoming a reality in early 2000 when actor Jason Schwartzman, Coppola's nephew and an actor in his own right, read the script and wished to play Donnie. Mark Wahlberg was also approached for the role, but he insisted that he should play Donnie with a lisp, which Kelly didn't like. Vince Vaughn was also considered for Donnie, but believed himself to be too old for the role. He was 30 at the time, so yeah. And eventually Schwartzman was ultimately cast. Funding for the film eventually came from an unexpected source, none other than actress Drew Barrymore, whom also signed on to play the character of Karen. Kelly said that this moment, quote, legitimized me as a director because of Barrymore's enthusiastic reaction to the script. Barrymore was looking into expanding her career in entertainment and soon formed the production company Flower Films with Nancy Juvonen, her producing partner. She then arranged a meeting with Kelly in March of 2000 on the set of Charlie's Angels to discuss moving forward with the film. There, Barrymore and Juvonen formally suggested that Flower Films fund Donnie Darko. Kelly accepted and the film received a $4.5 million budget, which Kelly later called the quote, bare minimum to make the film. After securing the long sought after financial backing, pre-production ramped up and filming was booked for the summer of 2000. However, by July, Schwartzman had withdrawn from the project due to scheduling conflicts with other projects. This led to an quote-unquote exciting period, according to Kelly, as he got to meet several hopefuls for the role of Donnie, but eventually landed on relative newbie Jake Gyllenhaal, who was in Los Angeles auditioning for various roles. Like so many before him, Gyllenhaal had loved the script and later recalled having to pull over to the side of the road to finish reading it. Gyllenhaal had been cast one month prior to filming, during which time Kelly and Gyllenhaal worked on Donnie's dialogue. The actor was given ample opportunity to incorporate his own ideas, including making his voice sound like, quote, a child talking to its blanket when he talks to Frank, as the character is a source of comfort for Donnie. Gyllenhaal also had the idea to have his real-life sister Maggie star as Elizabeth Darko. When it came to the design of Frank, Kelly recalled several people showing him drawings of what they thought he should look like. Kelly wanted Frank to be, quote, disturbing and animalistic. Ultimately, it was Kelly himself that produced the initial sketches of Frank's face and presented them to production designer Alex Hammond, who then made front and side drawings of the mask and sketches of the full suit. These sketches were given to costume designer April Ferry, who built a fursuit from scratch and hired a sculptor to create Frank's creepy grin. Kelly insisted that Frank's face had to disturb people and create an intense response with the audience. The costume was first presented to the cast and crew at Loyola High School shortly after filming began. Kelly recalled of that moment, quote, Everyone just got quiet. Like, this is really intense. So I knew it was working and I felt the sense of relief. And I think we can all agree that even 20 years later, that is one freaky ass bunny. You're afraid. Are you telling us this stuff so we can buy your book? Because I gotta tell you, if you are, that was some of the worst advice I ever heard. You see how sad this is? I want your sister to lose weight, tell her to get off the couch, stop eating Twinkies, and maybe go out for field hockey. You know what? No one ever knows what they want to be when they grow up. You know, it takes a little, little while to find that out. Right, Jim? And you. Yeah, you. You think you're some jerk shoving your head down the toilet, but you know what? Maybe. You should lift some weights or uh, take a karate lesson, and the next time he tries to do it, you kick him in the balls. 
<laughs> Son, do you see this? Right. This is an anger prisoner, a textbook example. Prisoner. Do you see the fear, people? This boy is scared to death of the truth. Son, it breaks my heart to say this, but I believe you are a very troubled and confused young man. I believe you are searching for the answers in all the wrong places. You're right, actually. I am pretty, I'm, I'm pretty troubled and I'm, I'm pretty confused, but I, and I'm afraid, really, really afraid. Really afraid, but I, I, I think you're fucking antichrist. Filming took place over 28 days in July and August of 2000. The exact amount of time it took Kelly to write the first draft of the script and the exact amount of time during which the film takes place. Filming was not an easy road for Kelly, who lost 20 pounds from the stress of filmmaking and keeping the tight schedule, plus the pressures of being a first-time director. The jet engine in the film is actually real and cost the production $10,000. The scene where it falls into Donnie's bedroom was done in one shot. The shell of it was rigged above the set and shot down using an air pressure gun. Cinematographer for the film Stephen Poster remembered people telling Kelly that jet engines do not fall off of planes, but coincidentally, during production in August 2000, an engine part fell from the engine of a 747 and landed on a beach. One of the most unique aspects of Donnie Darko is its soundtrack, which has gone on to become one of the more memorable ones of the early noughties due to its solid 80s mixtape. Kelly has been quoted saying that the song Head Over Heels by the Talking Heads set up the film's entire musical tone. Quote, we shot that Tears for Fears hallway sequence on day three of photography, and by day five, the first week of principal photography, my editors had already cut that sequence together. And my editor slapped it on a VHS tape, and I brought it to set Friday of day five. I showed the scene to the crew on a little monitor in one of the trailers, and everyone just flipped out, and it validated the choice of me taking the risk. Even Tears for Fears themselves were stoked about the usage of their song in the film and helped Kelly to ensure that the song cleared. This connection opened the door for Kelly getting in contact with the other bands and the other artists for the songs he used in the film and eventually helped him secure the music he wanted in his film. Donnie Darko premiered at the Sundance Film Festival on January 19th, 2001. It took around six months after that to secure a financial release, and at one point the film was close to premiering on the premium cable network Stars. One of the hardest issues to overcome with the film was the fact that 
In it, Donnie fires a gun. This was an issue because at the time, school shootings were still relatively rare, and many individuals were still reeling from the Columbine school shooting two years prior. Because of this, some people were concerned that Donnie Darko might promote teenage suicide. While it would eventually work out in the end, the licensed songs in the film also presented problems as they had yet to be paid for, causing a risk of them being removed for the wide release and therefore changing the entire tone of the film. Kelly had edited many of the sequences with certain songs in mind. Also, when it came to editing, Kelly was further advised to cut 30 minutes from the film to make it more marketable. Despite all of these issues, New Market Films eventually agreed to buy the film and work to strike a deal with IFC Films to procure theatrical distribution. Kelly involved Barrymore in the negotiations and recalled getting her to quote-unquote beg New Market for a deal, as at first they were initially considering a straight-to-video release. Kelly also credits Christopher Nolan and his wife Emma Thomas for helping him secure the deal for theatrical release after Nolan's producer from Memento, which had also premiered at the 2001 Sundance Film Festival, arranged a private screening of Donnie Darko for new market executives Chris Ball and Will Tyrer and encouraged the pair to distribute it theatrically and not straight to DVD. It worked. With a deal secured, the crew spent the summer of 2001 reworking the film but this proved difficult as it involved an additional day of shooting to clarify some plot holes, including shots of Frank in the Mad World sequence. Nolan and Thomas had advised Kelly to insert title cards throughout the film to break down the events leading up to October 30th, 1988, which he did. Donnie Darko was theatrically released from October 26th, 2001, peaking at 58 theaters across the U.S., The film grossed $110,494 its opening weekend, ranking just number 34 at the box office. The film struggled to find its audience as the film was released six weeks after the September 11th attacks and its trailer featured an accident involving a plane, which affected its chances of box office success. Kelly himself said the film was not, quote, attractive to people in that emotional, very deeply traumatizing chapter in our history, which, yeah, that was a weird time and that completely makes sense. Reviews weren't exactly stellar for the film either, though some did compliment the ambitious nature of the film, but the tepid response to the film did not help get butts in seats. New Market President Bob Burney backed up Kelly's statement saying, quote, The bleak mood and the timing was the cause for the film's failure at the box office and that critics failed to understand or accept the film for what it is. The mood filtered through everything. When its theatrical run ended on April 11th, 2002, the film had grossed a mere $517,375, a far cry from its $4.5 million price tag. Despite its initial poor box office showing, the film eventually attracted a devoted fan base and a cult following. If it hadn't, we wouldn't be talking about it this month. Like The Craft, Donnie Darko's induction into the cult following stratosphere had more to do with home video than a theatrical run, though Donnie Darko was more of a hybrid situation of the two since after its release on home video in March 2002, the Pioneer Theater in New York City began midnight screenings of Donnie Darko and did so for 28 consecutive months. 
Donnie Darko's fans were primarily born in the living room, in an era where the internet was becoming more and more a part of people's lives. This led to forums and websites devoted to the film, as everyone worked in a hive mind collective to try and figure out just what the hell was going on in that movie. These sites broke down things like the tangent universe, the usage of the wormholes, and just what the hell was the deal with that bunny anyway. Doing this created a community of fans across the globe and united people in their love of this weird little film that had struck a chord with them. The fan theories are something that Kelly doesn't want to confirm or deny, though he is aware of them. He released the director's cut to be a more detailed picture of the Darko universe, but he won't say any further whether or not any of the fan theories about the film are true. Quote, I kind of just want to let people run with it and think what they want to think. I know a lot more about the blueprints of this universe, and I feel like I've built something pretty complicated, but at the same time, I kind of want people to think what they want to think, and they're welcome to come up with whatever theories they want. Sounds like a USC grad to me. As you're probably more familiar with and have seen with more modern films and franchises, this community of film theorists and conspiracy theorists has only continued to grow with time. The vast universes of certain films and franchises have created communities of people from all over the world who have fallen in love with the films they see on the big screen and in their homes. Donnie Darko was one of the first films to start a grand tradition of fighting over whether or not a movie is good. In 2009, a sequel, S. Darko, which was set seven years after the events of Donnie Darko, centered on the now 18-year-old Sam, Donnie's younger sister. Sam is troubled by, spoiler alert, her brother's death and begins to have problems with sleepwalking like her brother did, along with strange dreams that hint at another impending major catastrophe. The sequel received extremely negative reviews from pretty much everybody. Kelly said he had no involvement in the sequel as he no longer owns the rights to the original film. In 2017, Kelly said that he resents being asked about the sequel and that he has never seen it. In fact, actress DeVay Chase and producer Adam Fields are the only links between S. Darko and Donnie Darko. In 2017, Kelly revealed that he had ideas for a new sequel that is, quote, much bigger and more ambitious than the original. In January 2021, he announced that an enormous amount of work, quote unquote, had been done on the script. He was inspired to do so after meeting James Cameron in 2010, whom had found the original film disturbing and had Kelly explain what happened to Donnie at the end of the film. Cameron then suggested to Kelly that he continue working on the project, which made him realize that, quote, there was really something big, something epic that could be done. So there may come a day where we get another entry into the Darko universe. And if you're not happy about that, blame James Cameron. Donnie Darko is a cult classic born out of the living room and the early days of the internet chat room. The film, created by a 26-year-old with dreams of being a filmmaker, continues to inspire and baffle filmmakers 20 years after its initial release. But for real, though, what the hell was up with that bunny? You can't afford them because half of your husband's paycheck goes to the federal government. You'll uh, regret that. My husband's paycheck? <laughs> oh, oh. Anyway, I'm not going to squeeze one out until I'm, like, 30. Will you still be working at the yarn barn? Because I hear that's a really great place to raise children. That's really funny. No, I think a year of partying's enough. She'll be going to Harvard next fall. Mom, I haven't even gotten in yet. 
Do you honestly think Michael Dukakis will provide for this country till you're ready to squeeze one out? Yeah, I do. Hmm. When can I squeeze one out? Not until eighth grade. And that's going to do it for this week. If there's anything you'd like me to cover in the future, please reach out on social media where I also post photos for each episode. At Tinsel Factory Pod on Instagram, on Facebook at The Tinsel Factory, or you can always email me at tinselfactorypod at gmail.com. I'm relying on word of mouth to get this podcast out there, so if you could please rate, review, and subscribe so that other people can find this podcast, that would be a huge help. In order to keep making the podcast, I've also set up a support page, the link of which you can find in the show notes. If you'd like to help me out in any way, I'd very much appreciate it. I've also got merch. Check it out at the link in the show notes. Next week, I'm taking the week off to recover from my birthday. But after that, we are doing the Monster Mash 2.0 and covering the origins and histories of some of cinema's most famous slashers. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, that's a wrap.